0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Content Clearing House. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, we discuss the most metal murderous birds in the world, the shrikes. They could seriously star in their own horror movie. Their metalness makes the firehawk raptors look like a bunch of mere pigeons. And then Brett Dethrones, you've all know Harari's name is the most frequently uttered words on this podcast with the simple words left and right. Get ready for some sizzling brain meats with the Divided Mind podcast episode. Oh, an editor's note.
1: Anasinosia. That's the word I was trying to pronounce. Anasinosia. You'll get it when you get there.
0: Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the
1: Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now.
0: What's up, buddy? How are you?
1: I'm doing awesome. We're just, you know, we're hosting this uh, this live stream Twitch DJ concert with no audience except for the thousands of audience members for the hundreds of thousands of followers that this group has here at Camp V. And I've been skydiving today, so it's been... Uh... Oh, man. Oh, and I just got uh, notified by my company. I'm heading out tomorrow to go fly the 737 for the first time. The real plane, not, yeah, that's the, awesome. not the video game plane.
0: Sounds like you've been really crushing at it, it being Brett lately. <laughs> I feel very busy. <laughs> the pictures from Camp V look pretty incredible. It it really does look like uh I don't know, like like a brightly lit rainbow burning man exhibit or something. Dude,
1: it's it's absolutely incredible. Um there's like some of these you know, renowned house music, electronic DJs from LA that are out here in Natarita. And they're, you know, they've been um, checking out like Telluride every day and all the cool stuff around here. But uh, yeah, the the piece of art that's here that actually was at Burning Man for two years, it's called the Prairie Wind Chapel. And the artist got to be here for this event, which is cool because he's from California as well. But they turned this thing into like a stage, which, you know, I want to call it a virtual stage because there's no audience except for, you know, my wife and I and the owner and all the DJs and all the private party. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, it's just being streamed online. There's like a VR element. There's a drone. And they, watching Whoa. this setup where they'll switch between cameras and they got all the feeds live. And, OK, you know, they're talking on headsets. Let's go to camera three up in the drone. Drone, can you get in a little bit closer? Let's go to camera one. And it's these two guys that are basically producing this. Concert uh, live on the internet. It's it's so twenty twenty one, dude, and it's awesome to be a part of it.
0: That is sick. Yeah, man, you're with your Reddit post, and now this. You're really getting involved (laughs) with some uh, high profile stuff these days. I'm on the internet. They live. (laughs) They live streaming from the drone. Yeah, yeah. they, They all all camera shots. They have like
1: a few close ins, a few external shots. They've got one on a gimbal that somebody can like walk up and. Um, there's fireworks, so there's a pyrotechnic element. There's a, um, augmented reality mapping or something. Wait, wait my wife's right here. What's Whoa. it
0: called? Live?
1: Image mapping. It's image mapping where they project, uh, like, visuals just on select parts so on the canvas of the piece of art so it doesn't shine on the artists it's only on like the parts of the stage that really glow it's it's a really cool thing to experience man they're actually you can God, watch a concert live awesome. tonight i think it's uh tonight and tomorrow night are the last two nights of this uh
0: twitch stream well tonight the night that we're recording not tonight the night this comes out well correct yeah no one sorry this yeah. will be well in the past by the time you all hear you'll it. have to get in your time machine and Go back to live stream this event. <laughs> yep. And if you don't invent Time Machine anytime soon, it's fine. <laughs> so the the um, the live streaming from the drone, that that made me think of – I saw a video recently that was uh, – it was from some downhill snowboarding event. And now they're putting the, uh, the live streamable drone technology on racing drones. Uh-huh because racing drones have kind of evolved into like the ultimate platform for shooting extreme sports. Like in the, uh, in the red bull uh, speed flying video we talked about last week, there were a lot of shots in there that were taken with racing drones. And now like with the ability to live stream, I mean, like I watched some of the footage online and it's just like, it's like a video game camera follow following the action. And you're just seeing it as as it happens. Like it's so incredible what the wireless technology is these it's, days and how small it it's is. It's
1: incredible. You know, the the one wheel has made walking obsolete. I think uh drones live streaming uh visual and audio information, that is going
0: to make seeing with eyeballs obsolete. <laughs> well, wheels are definitely the feet of twenty twenty one. So I'm gonna hold on my eyeballs for a while. Okay. What's new with you? Well I uh it's kind of becoming a little bit of a regular segment, but uh, don't get too excited, people. Uh, this, I probably won't be able to keep this momentum up forever. But I appeared on another podcast this week, and it was great. Uh, did you listen to that? The Don't Assume podcast. Oh my god, I
1: listened to it, and then I sent it to everybody that I know, uh, whether <laughs> they are you know professional skydivers with you know. Uh, I don't know. I can't say as much experience as you, but they're basically like pro level, like you are. And I sent it to uh, my friends that are thinking about getting into skydiving, and everybody in between. Um, Josh, I, I,
0: am just
1: gonna clap for you.
0: Fantastic! I loved it, man. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you know, I thought Flip Six Three Hole was the uh, ultimate fan of the show, but it sounds like you might have him beat in the Josh Evans fan yes, club right now. I... I have
1: always been in the uh, J-E-C, uh, oh wait,
0: J-E-F-C. I've always been in that uh, Josh Evans fan club. <laughs> oh, wow. I need a trophy. Making me blush, Brett. <laughs> Glad we're not on video. But the the show, uh, the Don't Assume podcast, is really cool. They take just some subject matter, this happened to be skydiving, and then they lay out like all of their assumptions about it, which I can totally relate to because whenever I started skydiving, I had the stupidest assumptions about it, which I actually talk about on that show. But uh, they take those assumptions and then they ask someone who is like an expert in the field. Like they've done an episode on like opioid addiction, which was really interesting. They've done, uh, they did an episode on what it's like to be British, which is pretty (laughs) funny. And then I did a skydiving episode. And it was, I mean, it was really cool talking to these guys that didn't know anything about the sport. I mean, they were like, They had great questions and uh, just really awesome interview style. So yeah, we'll link that in the show notes if you guys want to hear me talk some more. I got a question for you. That kind of thing.
1: Did they? Did uh, was it a Zoom thing? Could they see you in your office and see like all your cool, uh, like world record pictures and skydiving posters and medals and stuff in the background there?
0: Yeah, it was a Zoom call. That's awesome. Very nice. It it was very fun. I'm glad you listened to it, Brett. I did, and I loved it. Cool. Sounds like we're both just living the dream hard over here.
1: (laughs) So what you got for your off top?
0: So I got an off top. It was actually sent in by a listener. Okay. A friend of the show and friend in real life, Chad Ross. Oh, yeah. Whose legendary status we discussed on the Calvin and Hobbes episode way back in the day when we barely even knew what we were doing. Although I kind of always held that Calvin and Hobbes episode, that outline you wrote for it up as like, kind of the pinnacle of what I wanted to meet whenever I was writing my outlines from there on out. Like I felt like that episode is a real turning point for me when it came to discussing pe- this discussing content and using my contentology degree to its fullest.
1: Well, I will say Chad's uh, dead bird tattoo is really the pinnacle of tattoos. Um, I mean, it's something that I've like thought about not infrequently for, uh, you know, several years. I still think about it. I mean, it's incredible.
0: Yeah, it's very well done. And it, it, if you know what you're looking at, it is like very much a Calvin and Hobbes icon. For sure. Like that's such a, yeah. such a famous frame. It's like a great piece of artwork. Incredible, yeah. Well, I'm actually talking about birds again. Oh. So he told me that, so he, he said that he sent this in as kind of like, a, kind of like he was inspired because we talked about crazy things that animals do. And uh, so he sent me a video. I thought firehawk raptors were the craziest birds. That's before I read about shrikes. So I've always thought the name shrike. I mean, it just sounds so badass. but honestly, I never even looked into like what a shrike was. So I didn't, you know, I didn't know that there was like this natural behavior that backed up my assumption that whatever a shrike is, it's awesome. So there are, A few types of shrikes. There's the loggerhead shrike. There's the northern shrike. So these are songbirds. They look a lot like mockingbirds, but they are like these absolute brutal murdering machines. Have you ever seen anything about shrikes? I
1: believe I learned about them from uh, one of the Planet Earth segments. Oh, Bree's going to love this episode (laughs) as well. (laughs) <laughs> um. Yeah. This is uh. This is like the serial killing uh of birds. Yes. I can't wait to. Hear. It exactly is. I can't wait to hear you talk about this. So brutal. I. I for sure this is in Planet Earth or Planet Earth Two, for sure.
0: Um. Yeah. It's got to be. Yeah. I mean, this is like very well documented behavior, and uh, like you said, it's about murder. Just like almost everything that happens in the natural world. <laughs> oh we Here as, we go again. We as humans have kind of pushed murder to the background, but if you're living out in the woods, man, murder is how you eat. <laughs> So shrikes have like these dinky little legs and these short, like kind of snubby beaks. I mean, they don't really look intimidating, but they have a method for taking down large prey. So the first thing they'll do is they'll grasp field mice or even other birds. They'll grasp them by the neck and pinch with their their beak on the vertebrae to induce paralysis. And then once the animal is immobilized, they'll just shake it vigorously back and forth to kill it with G-forces. Like they can induce like up to six G's with their shaking ability. And that's, a, that's enough to kill most of the fragile little animals running around out there. Well, so I guess that's why I mice, think,
1: uh, mice can't be fighter pilots.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they don't make G suits that effective. <laughs> so first of all, like I th- thinking about being paralyzed is so terrifying. You know, it's like as a human that can, I can comprehend my own mortality. That is like a fate worse than death. And it's so insidious for a bird to inflict that on its prey. Like this reminded me of Wolf Creek, which I talked about a few weeks ago, the greatest horror movie icon of all time, Mick Taylor, the killer in there. He has this signature move. Like I love it when a killer has a good signature move, but he calls it head on a stick. So he talks about like he learned in Vietnam, the the Viet Cong would, Stab the soldiers in the spine so they were immobilized, but they could still like talk and give information. So he uses that. And like to to Mick Taylor, this is like the funniest thing ever because he's a total psycho. And he's like, head on a stick. And it's like super disturbing. And that is pretty much the signature move of the Shrike. So they head on a stick, their prey, shake them like the non fighter pilots they are, and just absolutely destroy them. They're able to take down stuff that's, you know, bigger than their body weight which is amazing for a bird that doesn't look scary at all. You know, I actually
1: so I misremembered this. I was thinking that this is the bird that carried like frogs or mice over like a bramble of like sharp sticks and bushes and then dropped them and impaled them onto sticks. That's what I that's what I'm remembering from Planet Earth, but maybe Brett, what Have you been reading my notes? I have not. No this <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the you just sh- the shaking g forces. I just remember the impale- the impaling.
0: Well, <laughs> you just shared their other signature. Move. Oh shit! You're totally right. <laughs> yeah, they they use brambles and twigs and branches and even like barbed wire to immobilize prey. Like they'll impale them while it's still alive. So like lizards and mice, so they can hold them still while they're eating them. So maybe you get your neck broken. Maybe you'll get impaled, but the one factor that ties all, all this together is shrikes are going to do it to you while you're alive. So don't worry about that, Brett. <laughs> if you were a field, mice, field mouse or a lizard, you're going to feel all of it. Uh, I'm going to add something about a
1: different bird of prey. I, I think it's an eagle. It's, I, it's something large. Um, and this is a planet Earth uh, nugget as well. I don't know if you've seen this, but there are birds that like chase goats off of cliffs Kind of in a yeah, golden eagle. Is it a golden eagle? Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they talk about taking down like prey that's larger than you. Like it's they literally can
0: kill goats by like chasing it's them off a cliff. So brutal, man. Birds. I mean, they really do. If you pay attention to what they're doing, they really do highlight how powerful air superiority is. You know, it's they say like wars are not won in the sky, but you definitely are not winning a war without being in the sky these days. But who said that? Like, you
1: that World War II know, that, was all about winning from the sky. I mean, it was all about. I think the that airport. quote
0: came from World War II, though, oh, really? because like you couldn't quite finish the job from the sky unless you're a Shrike.
1: <laughs> that's that's really interesting because I remember um, in aviation history, a wonderful class I took in college. They talked about how much um, development is really spurred forwards by wars. It was like wars, prizes. Um, you know, the, the race, I guess, uh, between two countries, competitions like that. But I mean, you look at world war one and it's like the, these sort of aerial battles between these biplanes and nothing, nothing was really done. Um, and then you just like jump forward a little bit, couple, couple decades. And now we've, we've got like fleets of bombers and fighters and, um, you know, air to air combat and, uh, God, World War II, I thought it was all about the air, but.
0: I mean, it definitely was, but I think that it's just, you might need a little bit more of a personal touch to seal the deal when it comes to, comes to really finishing off a war these days. You know how war is, Brett. <laughs> it's heck. We've always
1: said that. It totally is. You know, I uh, I think the sky is the perfect place to make friends. I, I did a couple skydives today. I did, <laughs> I did three jumps today. And I,
0: you know, I made love in the air, not war. So there's wow. not. <laughs> you sound like uh, you've got your technique down. cuz you only got like 45 <laughs> seconds to work
1: with. Actually, we're jumping from like 9,000 feet. So it's a lot less than that. But I don't need a lot
0: of time to make friends. Right. Better than a minute, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me, uh, so, I'm to get back to the shrikes just a yeah, little bit. Yeah, keep us on topic. I wanted to kind of, like, I wanted to kind of get across to you how this made me feel. Because <laughs> I was kind of getting queasy watching these shrikes kill these animals. Like, it's so brutal. And, like, snapping a neck, it's such a move that's, like, steeped in finality, which is, like, totally the point for the birds. But it's just, it's such a brutal way to get your food and it's really interesting to see animals much like the firehawk raptors adapting tool use for the same reason that we do it you know like evolution has essentially nerfed all of our natural weaponry so humans have developed our creativity into a weapon which unfortunately is the way that most things that when you look at humanity on a whole move it moves towards weaponry and fighting so like a A naked human is fairly helpless, but a human with a few basic tools can take down a grizzly bear if properly motivated. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's what shrikes are doing. They're using tools in their environment to help overpower prey and immobilize it so they can leisurely rip it to shreds piece (laughs) by piece. And so they, Wired.com or the magazine Wired if you're into weird paper things, they, uh, they pointed out that Shrikes are basically like headbangers, s- thrashing around. They're uh, they're in a spine snapping and impalement. and that led them to believe and proclaim that shrikes are the most metal bird yeah, on I earth. I like this. So I don't I don't know if that's listed in your bird watching book, but Wired dot com has declared it. You know it's true. You know,
1: I, I talked about Wired on uh, the episode, What Technology Wants, uh, due to uh, Kevin Kelly's involvement in Wired, and, I, you know, they are the, uh, I guess they're the Bible of uh, bird classification, oddly enough,
0: Wired Magazine. That's what I hear. Yeah. And I've got one more classification that I'd like to put out there. I'd like to say, even though I was very impressed with Firehawk Raptors a few weeks ago, right now I'd say... Eat a dick, Firehawk <laughs> Raptors. The Shrikes are here to mess up your perfect day. <laughs> so if you want to fire up your mirror neurons and get disturbed like I did, I'll share that neck breaking video in the show notes. I uh, I can't wait to see that. <clears throat> yeah, there. You know, there's
1: something about certain types of death that uh, that really shake you up. And you know, there's you you just mentioned the neck breaking thing, and it made me think of a the neck breaking moment in devs Uh, spoiler alert that honestly that death like shook me up in the world of content in a way that like really stuck with me it is very very gruesome
0: yeah it's very disturbing head on a stick man all right it's that's such an effective thing to put into a you know piece of content because like i think every human that loves being alive can relate to what a horrible fate that is! Getting your neck broken. Yeah, I
1: I will second that. And uh, so, besides incredibly violent nature conflicts, uh, what what else is on your content
0: <laughs> circuit? <laughs> well, man, I love I love Prime because they have a lot of really obscure stuff on there that honestly, if it wasn't a streaming platform, I would never watch it. There's things on there that. I wouldn't say they're the greatest things ever made, maybe not something worthy of a full content piece, but stuff that's, it seems like it's made by like true artisans who are like, in this case, what I'm going to talk about is just super into effects, like practical effects and using that to, you know, craft a great horror story. So we've talked a little bit before about Bigfoot content. Oh yeah. And uh I saw a movie. It was, um, it's called Primal Rage, which is a tor- a terrible name, so stupid sounding. But it's about Bigfoot who is essentially he really is like a missing link. He has almost human like intelligence. He uses tools, but he's like the ultimate uh like woodland survivalist. He's got all this like natural camouflage that he creates and he makes his own like bow and arrows. It's like it's a really cool take on something that I know we all assume that Bigfoot is kind of like a gentle giant, like a Harry and the Hendersons. Maybe the worst thing he'll do is like take you and turn you into his forest bride, but <laughs> he'd be gentle about it. Yeah. But this is a whole nother take on those it. Those beef jerky commercials are to be believed. Uh, is a hell of a <laughs> guy. So, so terrifying looking, but in the end, he just wants to <laughs> snack on some delicious salty meat treats with you you just don't want to become the salty meat treat exactly primal rage is certainly placing humans in the salty meat treat category so i'd recommend that is like uh you know if you have kind of burned through every piece of content we've ever recommended then you should watch primal rage if you like awesome horror effects because they're like top notch in this oh right, i gotta check that out i still have wolf
1: creek on the list um I'm sure I'll find time for all of this uh, eventually. But, I, I ha- you know, I have a different take on Bigfoot. Uh, with all of my uh, esoteric knowledge of UFOs, I think it's some sort of manifestation of the demonic, uh, otherworldly reality that lives in some sort of uh, other dimension. But I also have a different take on Prime. I like Prime because Jeff Bezos is not wealthy enough. He just got divorced, as you know, or he's getting divorced, uh, something like that. So I just want to give him more money. I mean, the the fact that there's great content makes it yeah. Indeed, that's just uh, that's just kind of a bonus.
0: I would just give I'd give him my money if it was nothing but Primal Rage on Prime. <laughs> I know he needs it. He just lost half of his like 128 billion dollars. I mean, how? How's he going to survive? I know. How could anyone survive on half of that? That's crazy.
1: Well, speaking of money, so my content circuit, uh, The Big Short. I'm going to have to talk about this on the show. I love that movie. Have you seen that?
0: Yeah, that's a good one. It is a good one. I don't think that I know enough about the financial markets to really understand what they were getting at. So, that might be good sometime to have you, somebody that's smart, explain it to me.
1: Well, it is. Uh, I don't understand it either. And I think that that's kind of the point of the, the movie is to explain it in a way that makes it more accessible. And, you know, if you got Margot Roby in a bathtub trying to explain these, you know, um, over leveraged positions or these subprime mortgages, it, it, it kind of makes you a little bit more interested. Um, and they I was
0: totally listening to whatever she was saying.
1: <laughs> they, I mean, they use just a lot of like really great metaphors. They have a, excellent cast guess i'll just save it for the episode that i will inevitably do but it has led me down to uh, like i texted you today i've actually been watching these like uh youtube live streams that are like hours long about the stock market and um but yeah i mean the big short is if you want to like learn how messed up things can get and probably still are because now i'm feeling like Sounds a little catastrophizing, but I feel like we're uh, headed towards another 2008 financial disaster uh, because of some really sketchy stuff that's that's uh, going on. But The Big Short kind of like gives you a glimpse in that world in a very entertaining way. It's great.
0: Did that? Uh, did the 2008 crash affect you in any way personally?
1: I think I think it affected all of us. Yeah, I mean, it's. But I mean,
0: like, did you feel those effects personally in your life, like? Was there something significant that you had to give up or change because of that?
1: Uh, I mean, I was pretty young and I was fortunate to be in a position where it didn't affect me as much. But, you know, the I think that this economy is so um, not just. Pre, pre, uh, just relevant and pervasive in all of our lives, but, I mean, the entire globe. I mean, there there was ripples in every industry and every country all over the world um, from, like, really shady and corrupt business practices that... Uh, and it's always, you know, it's always the little guys that get screwed. So, um, but no, I can't... I mean, I, I don't really remember the mindset that I was in, like I wasn't laid off. I didn't go upside down on my mortgage, but so many people did. And we're probably still, Indeed. we're still probably still feeling the, you know, s- somewhat the effects of that today. And we might be headed for another disaster, but uh, who knows? It's, you know, it is scary times. thinking
0: about it happening, happening now. Cause I was kind of in the same boat as you. I didn't really feel the effects of the 2008 collapse collapse because, you know, like I was younger. I didn't own a house, I didn't have any investments or anything, which is kind of, you know, I was kind of just living like the rogue skydiving lifestyle at the time, which seemed awesome. And I guess a golden lining or silver lining, depending on how good you are at lining things. (laughs) I, uh, I didn't really have anything to lose other than maybe my job. And, you know, thinking about that happening today, I think is much more frightening because I'm more of a true adult. Now I have things, I have a house and I have investments and I have things that I really care about. And so, yeah, hearing you say that is very disturbing. It's like the, the neck snapping of the financial world. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I
1: mean, I've, you know, I've experienced my own like, um, groundbreaking, uh, um, you know, financial security shaking issues over the last two years that are kind of not not even related to the coronavirus. And I talked about it before on the podcast. And that kind of thing is so hard to recover from and to get back ahead or to try to get to where you were. And you can't even look at it that way. That like I'm really uh, hoping that I'm wrong about um, another sort of economic collapse. But there's a lot of pretty wild indicators if you start you know, watching the big short and following uh, Michael Burry on Twitter and then jumping into some weird live streams, but uh, we'll save it for another show. (laughs)
0: Indeed. You know, I was thinking before we move off this subject, I was thinking about like what happened to you and the rippling problems it caused throughout your life. You know, it wasn't just like a financial issue. On top of dealing with that financial issue, you were also dealing with feeling like part of your soul had been stripped away. Well, I'd say identity. But uh, maybe yep. my soul was uh, stripped away as well. It's hard to say. I mean, the reason I say that is because I actually got fired from the wind tunnel once way back in the day over a misunderstanding. And even though I was only working there part time at the time, I really felt like I had so much of my identity wrapped up in working there that it really felt like part of me had been hollowed out. And, you know, just losing. The money I was making there wasn't as significant as feeling that like hole inside of me that was lost because, you know, like I felt like I had made a mistake or something, or, you know, like actually I felt like I had kind of been railroaded. But it just, it just hurts to lose those personal identifiers. And unfortunately, a lot of that is wrapped up in what we do for a job if we actually go and pursue a job that like speaks to us when we're younger.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, it's something to be grateful for. There is a gold lining or a silver lining or even a bronze lining. Uh, How good are you at lining? Or you get a participation award for lining. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I mean, when you have the opportunity to do some self discovery and uh, figure out who you are and what your identity is outside of your profession, that's a very healthy thing. Um, It may not always be by choice and it's probably never easy but, um, you know, hopefully we all can
0: have the opportunity to explore that without something catastrophic happening. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, people, don't gamble with your jobs. Jobs are good if you like them. <laughs> That's the takeaway. That's it. All right, so um, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to get into some content.
1: Ooh, content.
0: Hello, listeners. Don't hit the skip forward button just yet. This is not an ad. This is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show.
1: So we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best. Or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at the contentclearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content.
0: Clear it out. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, you've been uh, really <laughs> leading me on all day about this complex piece of content that you told me I had to shock my brain if I was going <laughs> to understand it. So I've been sitting on the edge of my seat all day, a small part My butt cheeks are numb from that. So, finally, Brett, give me some release. What are we talking about? Well, um,
1: it's interesting. You mentioned paralysis already. You've mentioned uh, some firing of neurons. So, I do feel like you're primed for this episode. Um, And I'm glad that you uh, used your TDCS. Shocked your brain today. Um, Would you say you are firing on all cylinders, or should I say hemispheres? I've only got two of them, and I think they're both doing something. Okay. That's excellent. So, um, let me ask you, you said you have two hemispheres. How many conscious and distinct entities do you think exist inside of you? So not hemispheres, but individuals. Any guesses? Is this like an
0: inside out style question? <laughs> I don't know. Do you feel do you feel like a singular entity? I I mean, I don't know if anyone really is. I, I definitely have like different voices and influences, I think that push me in different directions. But I think ultimately those things may be like, I don't know, maybe like partially formed entities. And I think there's one me that is really making the final decisions if I'm not leaning into the dev style outlook of the universe. Okay,
1: interesting. Well, what if I told you There are actually at least two yous living inside your skull. What if I told you that those two distinct yous even have different strengths, different IQs, different reactions, different values, and entirely different perspectives on life? Now, this is a little bit of a simplification. It's not entirely accurate. Um, There isn't really two separate people living in you, but the truth is actually much stranger than that. So for this episode of the Content Clearinghouse, I am talking about a particular episode of one of my favorite podcasts that completely blew my mind, or should I say, minds. I am talking- to your hemispheres. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Both of them. I'm talking about episode 48 of Sam Harris's podcast, Making Sense,
0: The Divided Mind. Interesting. I've listened to quite a few of Sam Harris's podcasts, and they are very deep. Yeah. It is highly recommended. I'm gonna have to, well, then this is gonna be an easy sell, um, and I'm gonna
1: borrow a sort of grotesque, but um, a, a really a nice term from uh, Flip Six Three Hole. He's a super fan of the show, and actually, <laughs> uh, this is a little teaser. He's a future Doctor of Contentology candidate. So, uh, <laughs> wow,
0: we will have to see how that works out for him.
1: <laughs> and uh, that term I want to borrow from him is "Let's dive into some brain meats."
0: Yes. <laughs> so to and just go back to the <laughs> doctorate of contentology, Brett. You remember how hard it was, right? Those oh my god, final exams, the dissertation at
1: Harvard. I. It's the only w- thing that got me through uh, writing this outline was uh, just remembering how difficult it was at Harvard to remember your up.
0: training, and you will make it back alive. I like that.
1: I like that. Watch out for and strikes from uh, Starship Troopers. <laughs> so. Um, to dive into some brain meats, I'm going to let the left hemisphere uh, continue to take charge, as it almost always does, because it's an arrogant bastard. And I'm going to ask you an important but rhetorical question. I think you've already answered this, though. Uh, does it seem like there's two yous in there, or do you feel like you're a singular you? You've kind of already answered and said you feel like one you. Now, you've seen a brain, obviously. You've mentioned that there's two hemispheres. I am curious, though. Have you ever seen a real brain?
0: Not in real life. I've seen photos. You didn't have that's to do this it. for
1: your Doctor of Contentology?
0: Uh, Wait, you did actual doctor stuff? <laughs> they... It's like we didn't even go to the same school. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious. Um. Well, clearly,
1: you know, you haven't had to have seen a real brain to know that there's two halves that make up the whole. So, if that's the case, maybe they're just really good at talking to each other. Because uh, if we feel like there's only one of us at any given time what what's going on here so it is true that the two halves talk to each other and i was actually uh writing this outline and i thought of uh uh mako and uh, riley riley uh piloting the gypsy danger jaeger in the uh uh movie Mm, pacific rim the drift (laughs) that's right (laughs) and uh god i'm gonna have to talk about pacific rim sometime too i love this (laughs) it's so good this movie's always brewing in my brain meats um, so there, there is communication taking place between our two hemispheres, but it is far from perfect. So let's back up even more. These brain facts are going to hurt your brain. They're so brain-blowing. Did you know that brains have been divided in all the brains we have ever known? Mammals, avians, reptiles, amphibians, monotremes, nematode worms, even networks of insects sort of act along this same principle. They they all have this in common. Even the most ancient sea creature that we know of shows an
0: asymmetrical neural network. And even... Now, when you uh-huh. say they've been divided, do you mean like... Two halves. In an experimental way? Like the way that...
1: Oh, no, 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 like no.
0: surgery for correcting epilepsy, no, how I'm they s- divide the hemispheres? I'm
1: saying there are two halves, there are two sides, there is a division... Like evolutionarily, exactly, like a created, like we evolved this very specific way for basically every biological thing that we've ever gotten the chance to study. I don't know how Bigfoot's brain works, but he probably (laughs) even has a division between his left and right. That's right.
0: (laughs) I mean, man, that really makes you wonder if, like, that is a requirement for carbon-based life in some way
1: it seems like it the evidence is there well let's let's get into some even stranger territory uh when we discuss these other brains let's take uh by other i mean non-mammalian so let's take a bird or a reptile brain for example when we look at those they're actually completely separate hemispheres so there's total division between halves it is not until mammals where the two sides begin to talk. And we do that with what's called the corpus callosum. It's a band of fibers at the base of the brain. It connects the two hemispheres. And I mentioned it's not perfect communication. The corpus callosum only connects about 2% of the fibers of the brain directly. And let me repeat this. This is a total, totally new and mammal invention and speaking of mammals, I'm going to introduce you to the guest on Sam Harris's show. He is a mammal who goes by the name of Ian McGillchrist. Uh, a little <laughs> bit about him. So, Ian, uh, I'm just going to call him by his first name for most of this because you know doctor to doctor and all that. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. You, you've dissected a brain, I haven't. But I, I, I just saw. Call it. me Josh. They just
1: showed it to me, and then they put it back in the jar. Um, it was a strange day at band camp there at Harvard. But
0: well, you had band, man. <laughs> there's a lot I guess I was too busy
1: extracurricular too busy partying (laughs) Uh, we had different approaches to uh, school of contentology so it's amazing that uh, the two of us still graduated we were the only students (laughs) two out of two it's been 100% success rate so far it's not bad careful flip six three hole um, so Ian is a fellow of All Souls College at Oxford um, He's a fellow of the Royal College of Psychiatrists he's also a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and he was a research fellow in neuroimaging at John Johns Hopkins. I know what you're gonna say and yes he sounds like quite the fellow uh, something that he does <laughs> something about his background I found really interesting. So he actually went to Oxford to study theology and philosophy, and then he got involved in English literature, and it was actually through those studies that he noticed something that's very applicable to contentology. Ian got this nagging idea that there is something in our culture, or in our recent history at least, that has made us preoccupied with picking things apart and trying to understand their components, as opposed to just enjoying things for what they are. And it led him to write his first book, Called against criticism. This was back in 1982, and it sounds like something I can really get behind. Um, so, to you, Doctor McGillchrist, uh, I also dislike critics, and I would like to point out because I know you listen to the Content Clearinghouse podcast. In between writing books and giving of lectures, course. speaking at conferences, yeah. we are not you don't critics. even mention it.
0: That's obvious. Yeah, but.
1: absolutely. Uh, we are not critics. We are contentologists, and we are here to appreciate and to recommend. And, uh, by the way, that's some real right hemisphere shit. Um, and Josh, speaking of the right hemisphere, although I'll be using language, which lives in the left hemisphere, I would like to activate my right hemisphere by bonding with you. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm really focusing this content recommendation to you specifically. Uh, if the listeners want to go out and consume this content, that's icing on the content cake, but, uh, something came to mind to help me sell this podcast episode to you specifically and to get you to listen to it. Uh, The don't assume podcast that you mentioned where you joined, uh, joined the show to talk about skydiving. I'm going to, I'm going to gas you up a bit. Um, you were an excellent guest host. You have the humility of a real expert. And of course you have the legitimate expertise to explain aspects of the sport that are actually really complicated or esoteric, like using the word shoot uh, you, you know, avoiding <laughs> avoiding that because that's a woofo thing to do, but you explained it in a way that's really stri- straightforward and accessible. But what really stuck out to me is your passion for the sport. You care more about the sport of skydiving than you do about your ego or what your place is in the sport. And I had a clear moment of that passion from Ian within the first fifteen minutes of listening to his and Sam uh, Sam's conversation about his work. Specifically, this this deep-seated passion, this curiosity bubbled up when Ian talked about a moment he had when he was in real medical school, uh, which as, as an aside, he attended medical school because when he turned towards philosophy to answer his questions about the mind-body connection, he discovered that philosophers are totally disembodied and stuck in their minds, stuck in their thoughts. So instead, he turned to medicine to help him better understand the mind-body overlap. And eventually he became a psychiatrist and then eventually the prominent thinker that he is today. So anyway, he's sitting in medical school and there's a brain there. And it's he says, it's just sitting on the slab. And they say, okay, here's a brain. There's a left hemisphere. There's a right hemisphere. You can see it's divided. But nobody really said why. I mean, it was just taken for granted. And You know, like you, when you talk about skydiving and these assumptions and you want to dive in there, I mean, he was just wondering, you know, why? And he said, What's the point in having a mass of neuronal interconnections whose value we seem to believe is predicated on the sheer number of interconnections that we can make? So, why is it divided right down the middle? He says, If you think about it, it does not have to be this way. There could have been one singular brain, there could have been. Two halves that sort of smushed together like a, like a baby's skull is in like different pieces and then they fuse together at some point or the the brain the two halves could have shared information perfectly or maybe the two hemispheres could have been functionally identical with no differences between them at all but instead what the scientific community has found is that the two halves are quite different. And there probably is an evolutionary reason for this. And when you hear him go on this, this passionate divided brain rant, I mean, it really, it really makes me think he's the Josh Evans of brain hemis.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, let me just start by saying you don't earn the world's most humble man trophy without (laughs) the type of humility that I have. (laughs) But I got to say it's, Kind of getting at me that you think this guy might be more humble than me, Brett. That's really, uh, it's really getting me hot-headed over here. (laughs) Boy, your left hemisphere is really active. it really? Don't (laughs) get me going, Brett. Um, What's really strange is like I always think about with evolution, like survival of the fittest, but also a lot of things in nature are path of least resistance. And what you're talking about with the way our brain communicates does not seem like the path of least resistance in any way. That seems like, it seems like something a human would create, something that is kind of shoehorned together and then a solution is engineered around making the parts work and they end up working very well, but it's not like what you would expect in, you know, from something that is a hundred percent efficient in engineering and can see all the solutions from the very start.
1: Oh, I mean that's a that's a good point. It 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 definitely seems uh, complex, over engineered. Um, not you know at at first glance, not super functional. But you know there there might be some reasons for this. He has some predictions, and we're going to get into it. So um, the general view when he was going in uh, going to school was that the left hemisphere does the heavy lifting it's intelligent it's perceptive and the right and this is his words are a bit of a no good um there was also kind of the view that the right was just there to prop up the left i mean he literally says that people in the science scientific community have talked like that um sam harris by the way author philosopher longtime meditator and oh yeah He's a freaking neuroscientist, so he's the perfect person to be interviewing this uh brainy brain philosopher. He adds to this that one of the views of the past was that the left hemisphere was the only conscious hemisphere and that the right hemisphere was literally like a subhuman animal type brain that just did some things but was beholden to the far superior left hemisphere.
0: As like I'm going to tell you. Brain.
1: Yeah, well, that is it could not be further from the truth. Even back in the 19th century, there was some science dude who was dissecting a lot of bodies, and he found people with one of the hemispheres of their brain completely missing. I mean, he found several of these people. Uh, it could be to the left. It could be the right. It could be you know some disorder at birth or some serious injury, and they had compensated developmentally. And nobody even knew that there was anything wrong with this person or that these pers- you know, these people had just one half of their brain. And it wasn't until death, God. And, you know, this guy like popped off the top of their skulls and he's like, whoa, I mean, there's 50% less brain here than usual. But I guess we sort of forgot about this fact during the 1950s, the 1960s, prior to these split brain experiments, there's a lot of like brain related pop psychology or pseudoscience I don't know what you want to call it but there's a lot of misleading information out there um, and some like of you these, look up and to the right when you lie yeah you know there might be I, I I didn't see that or I didn't hear that in in this episode but there's all all kinds of weird stuff um but fortunately our understanding has changed for the better I think we're still kind of on the the cutting edge of of uh brain science there's still a lot we don't know but The data has increased the split brain experiments I'm going to talk about. They have been looked at again with a more thorough and scientific approach. And things are just a bit more removed today than from the weird biases of the past and all the, all the garbage. And so McGillchrist Ian, who's been thinking about these matters for decades, he argues in his book, the master and his emissary, that these two hemispheres have developed totally different roles. And what he thinks has happened in humans is with the evolution of language, we have decided to devote one part of the brain with dealing entirely in theory or the symbols of experience rather than the gathering of experience itself. So this is a bit of a simplification, and I'm going to get into things a little bit deeper. But what I learned is basically uh, you can be missing half your brain and be normal, essentially normal. Uh, you can have a stroke in one side or the other side, and there are differences and changes depending on which side that are consistent uh, among people with that same side that they lose, uh, depending on, you know, which which side they lose functions. Um, but your personality, your consciousness, the you that makes you you is basically intact no matter which side you lose, which suggests wow. that each half has its own consciousness its own mind, it's ready to come online by itself. You can split the brain physically in mammals and you can do all kinds of crazy experiments to see how the two separate halves in the same person see the world differently and you can even watch as two hands from the same person do separate conflicting actions because they're being controlled by essentially two different minds and finally... Dr. Strangelove. (laughs) And finally, all this to say, even in a normal functioning brain with optimal communication between the hemispheres with the intact corpus callosum there is no perfect agreement there's no perfect communication there is likely two totally different functions two different minds and there might even be some additional sort of consciousness running outside of your awareness that is sort of looking over your shoulder at everything else but doesn't have a voice
0: well, you know this is like this is definitely represented in content. I mean, this is like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. This yeah. is yeah, I like Bruce that. Banner and the Hulk totally. And it it kind of makes you wonder if your brain is split or you lose the function of one half of the brain. You know, maybe your personality and your consciousness are still intact, but I wonder how that affects the bandwidth because you know the brain is the most complex and misunderstood computer ever, and I am a firm believer that it definitely runs on bandwidth. Like I see bandwidth limitations in myself when I'm trying to learn something new. I see it, you know, people coming up against their bandwidth limitations when I'm coaching them for, uh, in the, in the wind tunnel. And there's just, there's a certain amount of things that you can do and focus on before you basically hit your limitation and then. A lot of a lot of learning is learning to work around those limitations and function. You know, like kind of like right at the edge of your of your uh, your bandwidth. So I wonder if that takes it down a notch and you maybe lose the ability to to push as
1: far as you could before. I mean, from what I gathered from this conversation, and it's really interesting that you can actually um, there is a little bit of tension in the conversation between the two of them uh, as just like you know, really both curious, both intelligent. Um, but like he, Ian McGilchrist is trying to get a point across and Sam wants to like hammer on some other like interesting thing about attention and consciousness. And um, but I, I didn't gather that there is a, a bandwidth limitation when you split the hemispheres. It, there is different problem solving strengths. There is, there's, I mean, completely different, Life perspectives between the hemispheres But it didn't seem like there was any uh, You know lack uh, Like it it took people longer to think of Things I mean I who knows what would Happen if you were able to connect The two halves even better It doesn't sound like it would be a good Thing Um, and
0: that's some limitless Shit
1: well possibly not Because the corpus callosum They're actually figuring out this connect This connecting cable is Acting more as an inhibitor than it is acting as a um, a supporter, something that encourages it's communication. It's it's like either... Center of the hourglass. It's, it's like the left is taking charge or the right is taking charge. And when one needs to take charge, it's the corpus callosum that's, you know, the left brain tells the right brain, shut up, I got this, this is my territory. So that's, that's more what's happening with the interaction between
0: the two um, hemispheres. And... Actually, it's like a solenoid switch. It's like switching off the exactly. flow from one side to the other. Correct.
1: That's a that's a great way to put it. Or like a like a stop valve or like a, I don't know, uh, a, a selector that's either, okay, it's your turn or it's your turn. And I mean, it's not that simple, um, but there's all kinds of crazy stuff I want to talk about. So I, I didn't know where that's to mention crazy. this. I'm going to just shoehorn this in right here. There is actually something called transcranial magnetic stimulation uh which i haven't gotten i haven't gotten the chance this is different than our brain shocking uh tcds or tds our home experiments exactly so transcranial magnetic stimulation apparently they can use a giant magnet to turn off one half of the brain um and they can now look at these different things without serious injury without strokes or crazy surgeries um but i just wanted to throw that out there for you uh, I want to dive deeper and deeper into these brain meats. So it's <laughs> so it's brain versus brain now. Uh, Ian is working on a new book. He's trying to look at all the different ways in which we gather experience around the world around us. And in all cases, the left hemisphere actually does not seem to be as good as the right. Uh, why is that? The left hemisphere needs to be Kept away from that because it's it's busy doing all this theoretical processing. So, but in actuality, it's the it's, it's the nerd. It doesn't want to go outside. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you'd call it the nerd though. It's, the right hemisphere is actually more intelligent in terms of IQ. It has it it attends much better, uh, much more broadly to the world. It perceives more on the right. It makes better judgments. Um, it's less taken in. It doesn't jump to conclusions the way the left side does. And it has the social and emotional understanding the way the left hemisphere doesn't. So really, it seems like the right hemisphere is the one that we should be putting on a pedestal. But the left hemisphere is about languages. It's about symbols. It's creating a simplified map of the world And it is uh, what Ian thinks. It is kind of the grabber, the ego, the manipulator, and also the liar.
0: (laughs) Mm. So it's like the drunken frat boy of the brain. Sure.
1: It's it's the Trump of the brain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. It's within all of us. It is. Um, So the right side, he says, it's really the one that we rely on to be connected to and make sense of the world So when people have a left hemisphere stroke, they tend to carry on being largely in touch with the same world they were in before. But when they have a right hemisphere stroke, they find it hard to understand what's happening. Like, what do people mean when they say things? Their language functions are still going, but they don't know what things mean anymore. So with patients that are cared for when they've had a right hemisphere stroke, the main complaint is that these patients lack any human understanding or empathy. When it's the left hemisphere, the complaint is people have difficulty reading and
0: writing. Like, that's, those are pretty different things. Oh, man. Yeah. Both of those seem like total tragic nightmares. Yeah. But it would be, yeah. it would be so hard to deal with, I think, b- being trapped in your brain and like being able to hear people speak and communicate with you and just not be able to work out what it is they're getting at. I don't know if people yeah, have
1: that. I don't know if people have that frustration because they they're so specialized with what they do, the two hemispheres, that they don't know what they don't know. So when they have the language stroke, it's you know they don't realize that they're missing out on understanding and processing that language. That's my understanding, at least. Blessedly oblivious, uh, exactly. And it's it's the right hemisphere might be a little bit more bummed um, and frustrated. But the left hemisphere, it really ignores what it isn't paying attention to. So,
0: let m- it's always drunk, anyways. <laughs> it's got another frat party to attend. That's Right.
1: So, uh, I want to talk about the title of his book. I have not read this, um, but uh, back, you know, the right hemisphere is um, in in a way, it's the master. So, he calls his book "The Master and the Emissary." The idea that he had was with this spiritual community in which there was this wise spiritual master. That looked over the business of the community so that it flourished and grew. So that's the right side. And in a while, uh, it became obvious that the master couldn't look after all the daily business of the community. It shouldn't get involved in it. It it needs to maintain this important overview. So he delegated his second in command, which is the left side to go about doing the sort of administrative business, but the left side, the administrator, it wasn't smart enough to know what it didn't know. So he, the left side just thinks, what does the master do? He's just sitting back at this palace. He's meditating. I'm the one that does all the hard work around here. I'm the one that knows. So the emissary took on the mantle of the master. And in the process, he wasn't able to perform his job and the whole community of the master and the emissary fell to ruin. And so he sees this parable about the advancing relationship between the right and the left hemispheres and the way that we are ending up in the world today enthralled to the emissary master or i guess subject to the left side um that the the servant doesn't really understand what the master would have known and what what he could have told us about and to take this a step further so not only does ian think that we're slowly giving preference bit by bit to our more arrogant less connected more more of a bullshitter that the left hemisphere is he thinks the entire western world is slowly marching to the beat of the left side's drum and that kind of explains the the rest of the title of his book he calls it the master and his emissary the divided brain and the making of the western world so i did a lot of research for this episode i took a lot of notes i wanted to ensure maximum scientific accuracy um, but i wanted to just convey it in a way that'll make you want to listen to this two and a half hour uh, episode on Sam Harris's podcast because it truly is one of the most interesting conversations I've listened to but I'm not going to discuss all the subtle and profound ways we might be leaning towards a left brain centric society you're just going to have to go to the episode for that or maybe read his book it's on my list but I
0: mean in the end we're contentologists I mean we are doctors but <laughs> yeah. it's in a very specialized field <laughs> it is very very we should <laughs> he, he <calls> ultimately it- <laughs> you should listen to the real expert exactly. discuss this theory, because this is very fascinating. That is that
1: is 100% correct. And he actually said this book was 30 years in the making. He thinks that it really Whoa. it took 30 years of pondering this and like a background in philosophy and looking at his Oxford brain slab uh, to really put together this
0: this convincing Polishing argument. Polishing his new most humble man trophy. <laughs> he just... Core right out of my grasp <laughs> exactly
1: so um i do want to talk about a few more things i learned from this episode that are so freaking weird that sam harris he seems to think people have shied away from this subject for so long because it just does not compute what it feels like to be us so have you heard of these split brain
0: operations do you know anything about this I think the only uh the only thing I've ever heard about it is uh to to assist people with epilepsy. Exactly, to prevent seizures. It's the only thing I've ever heard about it. Like I, is that it yes. or is there yeah, yeah, yeah. other reasons? No, I mean there there have been
1: uh a few of these operations um but no you're you're 100% correct. This is a procedure that was invented to help patients who had I mean, constant epileptic seizures. The idea was if you divide the connection between the two hemispheres, because people didn't really know you know what this thing was for or the two halves, whatever, so they think we're just gonna sever this connection. So if the seizure starts in one hemisphere, it's not going to automatically overwhelm the whole brain. It worked perfectly. I mean it really was effective at stopping these seizures.
0: But it Man, that seems like a shot in the dark. <laughs> it really does. <laughs>
1: Science was so so much different back then. Um, but that's the beauty of these. I mean, it, it gave people a window into the difference between these two worlds. You could actually pose questions and problems to each hemisphere on its own. And I'm going to talk about some of this crazy stuff. And it does get a little complicated. I'm going to try my best to explain this. So... Uh, you might know this. The right hemisphere controls the left side of your body and the left hemisphere controls the right side. The vision is a little uh, strange but fascinating. The right hemisphere controls your left field of vision from both eyes and the left hemisphere controls or I, I guess it sees your right field of vision from
0: both eyes. So they had- That is so crazy. <laughs> it's really weird. It's going to get Did- weirder, buddy. <laughs> Do they talk about the personality differences between people that are right-handed and left-handed. That's because there are very distinct differences. Like it seems like anytime you hear about some super genius, someone who has like such a such a profound take on the world, they're left-handed. And a perfect example is our good friend Derek, <laughs> yeah. who's left-handed and is quite possibly the <laughs> smartest human being I've ever communicated with. Someone who's able to learn anything to total mastery and it's just like it's like watching a different species of human operate well he's so intelligent they didn't talk about this in the episode I'm sure it's
1: addressed in Master and the Emissary there has to if there actually is that correlation it has to be related to this um, you know hemispheric divide across this axis but I, there's a lot of this that might be misinformation that falls under that sort of pseudoscience. When they first did this research, they jumped to a lot of conclusions incorrectly. Um, and this was back when they, you know, I think when they, the left hand, right hand stuff became really popular was also about the time they were saying... You know the left brain is might be a little boring, but it's rational, it's intelligent. The right brain is good for if you want to draw a pretty picture, and like that's that's all been debunked now. So I don't know about the right hand, left hand thing. Um, but God, if 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 that is you know indeed factual, there's got to be some relationship to this. So, you know, with this um, with these split brains now, they've severed this connection. These experimenters, they had to do some pretty clever uh, and creative stuff to perform these experiments. But, you know, it's things like they could whisper something in the right ear to talk to the left hemisphere, or they could whisper something in both ears simultaneously. And, you know, in a normal person, the the two halves would be
0: communicating with each other, but not, not if you split. So... To recap, we got to start mastering this podcast <laughs> in stereo. That's right. I've been doing mono this whole time like an idiot.
1: We our uh large audience representation of uh, people with split brain uh, surgically split brains. They're I was just saying we could start manipulating
0: people <laughs> okay. by whispering into individual ears. Uh you should I whisper the rest of the episode? Please do okay. Brett. I'd like to see that effort. Let's let's skip it. That
1: doesn't sound like a good time. <laughs> so to recap this, the left hemisphere, this is the bullshitter. This is the one that will always pretend that it knows the answer, even when it's obvious to these experimenters that it didn't know this information. It's, it will make up a story. So, the worst type of human. <laughs> so in Ian's, in Ian's words, when the left hemisphere knew nothing at all, because the information had all gone to the right hemisphere, it would still pretend that it knew all about what was going on. So when, when it was asked, why would it respond in a certain way? About which it knew nothing. Because it was, this was information that the right hemisphere got. It would make something up that was plausible. The left hemisphere apparently is really good at making shit up. Now, this might be, a, and this is me speculating now, this might be a great survival skill. Um, One scientist actually calls the left hemisphere the interpreter because it makes sense of what it's seeing, Uh, but it it seems to believe its own propaganda. So let me talk more specifically about this experiment. So split brain, you present an object to the right hemisphere only, uh, which the left hemisphere, it does not see. But because language is in the left hemisphere, you ask, what did you see? The answer you get is nothing. The left hemisphere says, I didn't see anything. But keep in mind, the right hemisphere hears that answer, but it it does not respond. Then you ask, can you take your left hand and reach for the object that you may or may not have seen? And at that point, the right hemisphere, which is in control of the left hand, will reach for it. It will pick up the object, which is the object that was presented to it visually, and then when asked, well, why did you pick this thing up? The left hemisphere then makes up a story. And it always has a story with these <laughs> things. It will just make something up as to why the left hand, which it has no control over, really, did what it did. And it gets even weirder, Josh. <laughs> so, it's already pretty weird. This is weird stuff, man. So victims of a right hemisphere stroke. So remember, because it, it, this gets complicated. So I have to, like, really write this out for myself. Uh, I can see the cork board behind you with all the <laughs> yeah. strings. and the... This, yeah. Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny <laughs> got, has his conspiracy map. So right hemisphere stroke. They only have the left hemisphere intact, right? So they see the right side of the world out of both eyes, but just the right half. So you ask them to imagine walking down a street that they're really familiar with and describe all the features on both sides of the street. Everything. Now, remember, this is just in their imagination. So in a split brain, only the left side is working. This is a right hemisphere stroke. They will describe only the things on the right side of the street. But then you tell them, okay, now imagine you've reached the end of the street. Now turn around and walk back. What do you see? They will now describe everything on the other side of the street, and they've just completely forgotten or they're unaware of all the things they just described a second ago. Their brains can no longer conceive of the other side of the street because it doesn't exist to that half of the brain. Wow. So Ian McGilchrist calls this an ontological landslide. And what's really spooky about this is the left side of the hemisphere must be sort of aware of what it is ignoring or what it isn't aware of. So here's an example that helped me understand this concept. So you take this same type of person. Right hemisphere stroke. So this is the left hemisphere that's that's doing the doing the deal, doing the experiment. You tell them to draw an analog clock on a piece of paper. They'll draw a circle and then they'll put all the numbers on just the right side of the circle. Whoa. So there must be some awareness that there is a left side at all if all the numbers are just jumbled on the right side of some imaginary mental division. You can give and them the a circle p- is complete. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you can give them a piece of paper and you can tell them to write a few paragraphs down. They'll write everything down on just the right half of the piece of paper. Are you ready for That's some so more weird. weirdness? <laughs> sure. So, uh, V.S. Ramachandran performed a lot of hemisphere neglect experiments. And with this same right hemisphere damage, and remember, the left hemisphere is the bullshitter. Often, these people will be completely unaware of their deficits. So this denial of deficits is called uh, an onigsogna- uh Anisognic... Ah, oh, fuck. I, I, like, looked up the uh, pronunciation of this word. Anisogn... Good thing anis- you're not still I'm pretty sure it's... Wouldn't a- have passed an- your... Anisognasia. ...conjentology <laughs> dissertation with that one. So, someone with anasygnasia would be unaware of their deficit, which could be full paralysis of the left side of their body. So, Ramachandran would come in, he'd ask them to take their right hand and point to, those, to his nose, and they'd raise their right hand and point to his nose. Then he'll say, take your left hand and point to my nose. And they, you know, their left hand can't do anything, right? They've had a right hemisphere stroke. They're paralyzed on the left side. And, you know, Ramachandran will say, okay, are you pointing to my nose? And they'll say, well, yes, I'm pointing to it. To take this even further, you get other anexignaziacs, other people with right hemisphere damage, you get them in the room to witness this. And whatever made-up left brain hallucination lie, whatever you want to call it, that this person is experiencing, the others will share in this hallucination. And they will cover (laughs) for the original subject. And they'll all say, well, yes, they're pointing to your nose right now.
0: So So the mirror neurons are clearly still working in some telepathic way. I don't
1: know if it's a mirror neuron thing or what, but it is some uh, spooky stuff.
0: That is so bizarre. I mean, you know what that makes me think of is like how, I don't know, how maybe like tactile and real our perception of the world is and how much of like our personality is created from that. It seems like... (laughs) very possible that a big part of what we're perceiving and what we think is real is like some sort of crazy brain induced hallucination. (laughs) Like even in our, even in our regular life, like it seems, it just, it seems like everything just works and it's the way it's supposed to be, but it does. It doesn't sound like it takes much to completely change that. Like your perception is so tied to who you are as a human.
1: It's, it's pretty freaky. I mean, it's like, I feel like what you're saying is that we're living in a simulation of our own making. In a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, totally. And,
1: you know, I think about this, too. Sam Harris had a separate episode recently, um, and it was, I don't know, it's called like Illuminating Some Issues that, I, I don't know, it was um, it was an interesting episode. One of the things that he talked about was perpetrators of violent crimes. If we could just try to understand, um, and, you know, not forgive, but if we could just sort of realize that... It, you know if you found out that um a perpetrator of some horrible shooting or some horrible crime had a brain tumor which this has actually happened and it's you know pushing on some certain part of their brain and now they're hearing Charles voices, Whitman. exactly um you would have more compassion i guess or at least more understanding like you like that is almost a act of nature at that point it's like comparing that person that entity to like a hurricane that comes in and and does a lot of damage. And if we could apply that same sort of perspective or thinking to everybody for all of their shortcomings, because all of this does come down to like chemicals and circuitry and electrical signals in our brain, like it would actually help us to be more understanding and to be more compassionate when people aren't doing, you know, the quote unquote, like right thing or the ethical thing.
0: That seems that's a very difficult thing to do it as a is. human, especially Absolutely. if you are hurt oh totally because your you know your perception like we were just talking about your perception of the world is your reality, and it's the most important thing to you that it continues and when someone when someone comes in and changes that like through violence or something it's it's so hard to be logical about your response to that especially if it's like i mean i think in some ways a force of nature makes it even scarier especially when you apply it to a human being because it can totally be that way but it's scary that that excuse exists for human behavior
1: i I don't know if he is um talking about it as being an excuse and i'm kind of um you know uh going off-roading here but He actually, I think, used the example of saying, like, okay, if you're hurt with, if you're hurt by a hurricane, you're not going to be mad at the hurricane. If you're hurt by a grizzly bear, you know, you're, you might, if you're seriously injured, you're not going to dwell on and and hold this like hatred towards that grizzly bear. You might see it in a zoo and you might think, okay, you know, that's the grizzly bear that ate my hand, but you're not going to wish death on it. But that, you know, a person does this. And now you're harboring all of this, um, you know, these emotions that aren't necessarily serving you very well, but it's very, very human to feel hurt by another human because we're all under this illusion or, you know, possible illusion. Sam Harris thinks it's an illusion of free will that we that we decide all of our actions and he kind of takes a different stance on that. But to get back to. Well, yeah. Hold on. Before yeah. We get no, back, let's do it. A
0: hurricane. A hurricane doesn't have a face. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of it. And a grizzly bear does not have a human face and so a human is not going to sympathize with the the way that a grizzly bear perceives the world in the same way that they sympathize with the way a human perceives the world. It's very easy to just accept that a bear is going to eat you because that's what bears do. But it's harder to accept that with a human because I can very easily say, you know, I would not have climbed into a clock tower and started shooting people. But, but what if it's hard you had to apply that, that to someone else because right. you're not living their life.
1: Right. I mean, what if you had that same tumor growing inside your brain and, and then you did act on those same things? Like, I think people would be more uh, sympathetic to you being a victim of circumstance as opposed to a perpetrator. And I think his point is you know it would um it might be a healthier perspective to sort of try to imagine people doing bad things as more of an act of nature or like a hurricane or a bear and you know maybe we can find ways and we should find ways to still prevent people from harming society obviously clearly but it it would still i don't know probably be a healthier perspective i don't know that's his argument that's what i got people are
0: vindictive and they want to you know, see humans punished I know. for their for their crimes.
1: I know. And I think if something happened to me, I
0: would feel the same way.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know that
0: in the, I I can definitely in a way sympathize with the force of nature argument because I, I do believe that is real because your brain, I mean, you can very easily be short circuited, but I think it'd be very hard to forgive.
1: Yeah. I, I understand. I, for some reason I thought about the mummy because that storm did have a face. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah
1: Brendan Fraser That is a
0: Your cul- course of nature Cultural <laughs> content touchstone The mummy <laughs> Absolutely Well back to uh,
1: Ramachandran And his crazy experiments Now he He wanted to make sure That they weren't like Faking this Or I don't know Something weird like that So he asked them Left brain in him Just <laughs> lying to him <laughs> He asked them to carry a platter Like a serving tray Full of drinks And they'd say Okay And, you know, instead of sliding their right hand towards the middle uh, with their left side of their body paralyzed, I mean, they just reach for the right side of the platter with their right hand and their paralyzed left hand would do nothing. And they'd pick up this platter and everything would crash onto the floor. And then they'd, you know, oh, I'm so clumsy. Um, But this with this split or this right hemisphere damage, it it gets weirder uh, with this denial of deficit. So get this. If you shoot cold water into the ear of this subject, it produces a brainstem reflex. It's It produces uh, nystagmus. It's some kind of involuntary movement of the eyes. Now, this is for about a, a, a period of about a minute or so. This person will now become totally aware of their deficits. So cold water in the air, one of the first things they'll say is, what's wrong with my left arm? I can't move it. A minute oh my God. a minute later they go back to being unaware of what's happening so
0: so back to- so you need like a <laughs> you need like a beer fu- a beer can hat that's just always feeding water into your ear I guess that's one solution you' <laughs> no scientist yeah I, I am a contentologist you're probably gonna
1: get an Oxford medical degree honorary degree now <laughs> for that brilliant insight <laughs> so, back to these, uh, a couple more interesting things about these split-brain operations. So, for the for the first, like, six months or so, there were the, there were these things happening. I mean, literally, like, a lady would take a dress out of her closet with her right hand, and then her left hand would put it back. Or someone would pay for something, and then the other hand would take the money and put it back in their pocket. And this is called intermanual conflict. And there's even a story of a man who goes to hug his wife with one arm, and then the other arm tries to strangle her. (laughs) (laughs) Now, (laughs) sounds like something he wanted to do all along. Yeah, (laughs) at least one, one hemisphere. So I realize this is already getting a little long. Do you want me to go into why Ian thinks we are divided, or should I
0: skip this section? Um. Dude, I'm going to trust you on this because this is very fascinating. So if you think it's going to make it more fascinating, you just keep going.
1: All right, let's do it. So Ian thinks, and this is due to the work that they did with animals, he thinks we evolved to have one side of the brain that, as I mentioned, specializes in one task. The other side is dedicated for a different task. And he he thinks we can't really see the world as two diametrically opposed things at the same time. The example that he uses, and I love this, it's one of these optical illusions, like, you know, the pretty lady with the hat or the witch. Which one is it? You can't see them both at once. You see one or the other, and your brain will kind of flip-flop or switch uh, from one to the other. So we have two very different functions, and there's uh, less of a collaboration, as I mentioned, with the corpus callosum, more of an an inhibitory sort of action. So what they learned with these animals that have eyes on the side of their head, uh, they'll look at certain things with a certain side, with a certain eye. Now, it's different with animals. So the humans I mentioned, it's a field of vision thing. The left is looking at the right field of vision. But we've got eyes on the front of our head. With animals, it's just right eye is connected to the left hemisphere, left eye to the right hemisphere, because they uh, they have the eyes on the side of their head. So, So what they kind of figured out is that Animals will use the left hemisphere to target things that they need. It's for grabbing. It's for going after prey. It's for picking up a seed for a bird or picking up a twig to use for its nest. Um, all of these things use the left hemisphere. But for pretty much everything else, for looking out for uh, threats in the world around them, for looking out for is there a mate over there, that's the right hemisphere. And they actually did an interesting experiment with a lizard. So I guess they made little tiny eye patches for a lizard. (laughs) 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 And they would put it over one of their eyes and then they would show a lizard a simulated predator. So when the right eye is covered, they see the predator with their left eye, of course, that's tied to the right hemisphere. And they'll immediately run away. That's normally the hemisphere that's looking out for danger. But if you cover up the left eye and you show the lizard the predator, it will still try to look first with the the eye that's covered up because the link between seeing a predator and the right hemisphere is so strong, just like the link between seeing or grabbing prey or something that you want with the left hemisphere. So what he thinks, in order to survive optimally, is that you have to be able to look for yummy prey, but you also have to look out for scary predators. And this is putting it very simply. Um, I mean, he's, he's arguing that the right hemisphere takes care of the entire social aspect of life. And the left hemisphere is for the selfish manipulation of the world around us. But I hope on this episode, despite utilizing mostly the left, because podcasts are all about language, like a little baby chick staring at its mothers, uh, both with the left eyes hoping to bond the two right hemispheres together, Uh, Specifically, it's the uh, (laughs) right ventricle medial frontal cortex. Josh, I hope that we have bonded a bit by triggering a response in our respective right ventricle medial frontal cortexes. And once the words right ventricle medial frontal cortexes are uttered, it is time to wrap up this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So in summation, if we imagine our awareness of our consciousness as a sort of stage... The left hemisphere is the spotlight. It's great for very specific things, but our right is the whole view. And if you want to dive into more of this amazing brain me or the the uh, multiple amazing brain meets, all of my brain urges all of your brain to check out episode 48 of the Sam Harris podcast, Making Sense. And uh, remember, I, I have mentioned this before, but Sam Harris's content, it usually costs money to sus- to subscribe. But he encourages people to just reach out on SamHarris.org uh, to receive all of his content for free. He never wants money to be the reason that people aren't able to get access to this amazing information. And not, I, not everybody loves Sam Harris like I do. I mean, he does not shy away from open discussions about difficult subjects like religion, free will, politics, terrorism, ethics, artificial intelligence. And when you are critical of religion and Islam in particular, I mean, you're bound to stir up some controversial stuff. But for me, and this this kind of openness, this intellectual curiosity that he has, I really admire it. I have been turned on to so many incredible ideas and just in, just buckets of information. So I, I encourage you uh, to check it out. Both his Making Sense podcast and the Waking Up app for meditation Um, They are available for free, and he talks about that all the time. And I'm also going to link in the show notes several other resources from Ian McGilchrist because uh, he has his book, uh, The Divided Brain or The Divided Mind. Um, And then for those of you that are short on time, like Josh and I are uh, quite a bit, you can actually rent a movie that was made recently on Vimeo for $4.99 or to buy it for $9.99 about The Divided Mind. Um, I personally hope to get around to reading The Master and The Emissary. I find this stuff so fascinating and so incredibly bizarre. I want to know more, but my brain is fried, so uh, I'm pretty much done.
0: <laughs> Which part of your brain is fried? Both. Like both sides? Both or? sides.
1: Woo! They're done.
0: Right. You should have saved one of them.
1: My my brain meats uh, are uh, exhausted.
0: I did have a thought <laughs> yes. when you were talking about the... Uh, the way that the uh, the lizard would see in two different directions, and like one eye is looking for prey, one eye is looking for predators, and it kind of made me think of two things. One, apex predators tend to see directly in front of them a lot, like we do. Yes. And prey animals like deer are they typically have the, their eyes on the side of their head, and that that definitely seems to lean towards exactly what you were saying. And, you know, it's like a, a predator doesn't really need to apply bandwidth to looking out for other predators per se. Like a mountain lion is looking straight ahead, a bear, same thing. So that's, that's like, it's really interesting to hear it explained that way. Cause it, you can see almost like a, an evolutionary path based on those brain functions.
1: Yeah, and i thought about this. It's pretty interesting, and it's you know, it's like what came first: the eyes on the front or the brain evolving and the eyes coming forwards. I mean, I, I have no idea what the answers to those questions are, but I think amoebas came first. <laughs> but the fact, but I've also thought about the fact that like the the most ancient of sea creatures is already showing an asymmetry between their you know their neural network, like that is
0: really strange. It's so bizarre. When you listen to things, do you listen, like if you listen to a podcast on headphones, do you listen with both headphones or just one? You know, um, interesting you bring this up. I listen to
1: both headphones, and I feel like I can pay attention better. But when I do listen to one headphone, it is my right ear, which makes sense. It would be my left hemisphere that processes
0: language. That's so strange because I was going to say, like, I listen with one headphone like we discussed earlier with your wife about our awesome uh, wireless <laughs> headphones. And I always use the left ear. Like I feel like when I am processing voices and auditory information, I feel like it makes more sense coming in my left ear. Like I feel like whenever it's in my right ear, I have a harder time. Are you left-handed? No, I'm right-handed. I already, yeah. I already kind of leaned towards me being a right-handed plebe earlier. Well, the I mean –
1: I think the, you know, what Ian says is the right hemisphere is doing a lot more of the understanding, like it understands, it understands context better. So like the left hemisphere, even though it does all the language, it doesn't really understand like the nuances of a joke that requires some context. So when it, one of the, that uh, just came to me, one of the right hemisphere damaged patients, they ask like, how are you feeling? And he said, with my hands. And that's like (laughs) he was being literal, but he was also like unintentionally making a joke that only the right hemisphere that's that can't get the joke uh, would understand. So, I mean, it's very possible that and he even mentions like it's not this cut and dry. Um, There are these obvious differences, but, you know, there's if you can live your whole life without a left hemisphere and still have language capabilities like they're both sides are capable of so much. But there is also this division uh, when both sides are intact and communicating that is uh, very interesting to think about.
0: Yeah, the whole thing is very interesting. It's very fascinating. It doesn't surprise me that you've brought this. It's, this is what I expect out of you something <laughs> deep, something that just changes my outlook on life. And you've certainly dethroned your Matrix podcast. <laughs> which was previously, I think, our longest episode ever. Um, so thanks for this awesome, inspiring conversation. I would say one warning when listening to Sam Harris's podcast, do not do it while driving. What? Because he has the most soothing voice. Oh, <laughs> I have such a hard time staying awake, no matter how interesting what he's talking about it is when I'm driving. I think it's something about the like the drone of the car and then like the vibration of it, and then his voice is so soothing that – I'm just like, man. I just want to listen to what he's saying, but my brain is just like, it's sleepy time. If it, that's my that's I wish, my experience. If only I have you to could listen uh, to Sam Harris. If
1: only you could be like a dolphin and just let one hemisphere of your brain sleep while the other one's doing the work and then switch off. Um, exactly. Uh, so one of the way that Sam Harris like always starts out an episode. He's he kind of says, "Okay, you're listening to the Sam Harris podcast." Okay. And it's like this it's like a meditation <laughs> bell or something. It's like um like now we're getting into it kind of thing. It's yeah, I, like it must be intentional. puts me
0: puts me into a meditative trance almost. And that seems like probably something he's doing on purpose. Like his whole thing is about meditation and mindfulness.
1: Yeah. Well, I really hope you check out this episode. It it goes way beyond what I uh discussed as uh you know a mere contentologist and i think you know this this outline really took it out of me trying to understand this so that i could explain i try to get my facts straight so i think next time i'm just going to cover like an internet meme or a gif
0: (laughs) (laughs) just one that's it well i appreciate all the hard work you did this is endlessly fascinating so take a break brett i'll uh i'll see us out to the door (laughs) perfect thanks everyone for listening to the content clearing house. We appreciate it. We love you guys. You can follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook at the content clearing house. You can email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. We have a discord as Brett likes to say, whatever that is, it's actually a really cool place to get on and talk to us. So check that uh, link in the show notes and tune in next week. We're going to bring some awesome content right back to your left or right ear, depending on how you listen to podcasts. <laughs>